0: Dead, not lose dead, Okay, dead, Yeah. Welcome to uh, Black Matter Podcast. Um, this is a special segment because we're doing some episodes about uh, the state of things at University of Richmond and talking to some star black students that are at U of R. Um, and of course, me, your host, uh, Dr. Chaz. Um, I am the scholar in residence right now for the Bonner Center for Civic Engagement at U of R. And um, I am glad that you're on the show. Congrats on everything that you have done at U of R. Um, Not just the political stuff, but just congrats on surviving, being you. And um, tell me a little bit about who you are. Give us your full name and just a little bit of tea about you.
1: Um, So thank you for having me. My name is Akia Fortson Brown. I am from Trenton, New Jersey. Um, I'm currently a junior at the University of Richmond, and I'm kind of involved in a lot of different pockets on campus. So I work with Sylvia Gale to do some coursework in the disrupting school to prison narratives. I was a collaborator this year after being a student last year and falling in love with the class and all the work that it does. Um... I'm also a collaborator in the push in the um for the implementation of Africana Studies on campus. Um, we saw the need and we saw how we could fix it and we pushed for it. Um I worked with Shira, TJ, Kayla, and Mike to really push this along with um some of our favorite professors, Doctor Towns and Doctor Hussein. <clears throat> I am a Richmond scholar and Oliver Hill scholar. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me and what I kind of do on campus.
0: Nice, nice. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to um, take this moment to just like talk to you, um, I just spoke to Kayla Corbin. We had a fabulous conversation as well, is because I think that right now in this moment that um, it's just happening in our world. So it's not just at the University of Richmond, but I think also just like the state of Black affairs (laughs) within many institutional spaces, um, is shifting. I think there's just a, there's just a big shift that's happening. And I think that y'all, um, have been, you know, the star students in this, in this moment that are just doing fabulous work and that and at the same time, you know, are continuing a legacy of black students coming into higher education institutions, black students specifically coming into university of Richmond, um, and having to kind of advocate for ourselves, um, because of the ways that blind spots and broken promises still exist at college campuses across America, in particular PWIs, predominantly black institutions. And one of the things I was telling um, Kayla and I've talked to my other students about is like, what's been very just like humbling and also a little bit just like annoying and agitating is, you know, I've been at University of Richmond in various roles, um, alumni, faculty, now I'm working in the CCE. Um, students are still having like the same conversations about the lack of (laughs) things being what they need to be at Mm -hmm. University of Richmond. So I think, um, yes, this can be a conversation about the work that you're doing. But I also want to make sure that in this moment, um, we're capturing and archiving things um, that centers like our voice. And just like knowing, you know, AKIA, knowing you behind all the intellectual and political work that you've been doing, what is what does this moment mean for you?
1: Uh wow. I mean, to unpack like what this moment means to me kinda is a lot because it's so multifaceted. I mean a part of understanding me, um, I grew up in a single parent household, uh working class family in an urban environment. So there was a lot of Things that i guess i was exposed to that i always knew that America's kind of divided into the have and have nots and i am on the have not because i'm not a white cisgender christian male that comes from a rich family i kind of you know you get those questions in diversity conversations or inclusion conversations about when's the first time you realized you were insert a race like known but
0: yeah we're politicized from day one
1: yeah but the beautiful thing and if anybody knows me is i was raised by two very strong black parents who knew that the world was going to tell me i was not pretty i was not beautiful i was not capable Mm. and they told me you are beautiful you are capable where you come from is beautiful where you come from is strength um and the only way that we have exercised resilience in these moments, like what we saw when people were protesting and standing up for themselves last summer, what we saw when people were protesting and standing up for themselves on our campus this this year and last year and all the years before, you're only resilient because you're only resilient because you were strong first. You were born with strength, so that's kind of what I've been embedded with from the beginning of my life, um, understanding the power that comes from my womanhood, my Black womanhood, my Blackness. Um, So I kind of bring that in everything that I do. At the University of Richmond, I I was a business major, or I am a business major, studying entrepreneurship, mostly because I felt entrepreneurship was a channel that I could use to center my community and to bring the things that I was um instilled with and the things that I saw in my household on a bigger scale Mm -hmm. and I feel like love is one of the most powerful forces that's another thing that my parents raised me with and brought me up with and something that I've grown to understand just how powerful it is um in my adult life and seeing what choosing love can do But in a lot of ways, I think this moment and kind of what you were talking about, like the state of where we are, the state of black affairs is um, a lot of times choosing love gets conflated with like a kumbaya, Mm -hmm. like I'm just supposed to turn my cheek. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But a part of choosing love for me began a big part of tearing this world that we live in down and building a whole new one because this world was never designed for love to exist and for love to thrive. Because I, yes. I was thinking
0: that I was like, yeah, I, I think um one of the things that uh, a lot of us experience, and I don't want to put my experience on yours because you know Black people are not a monolith. I always remind folks on mm-hmm. that, remind folks of that on every episode, um, mm-hmm. and that you know Black experience um is is plural. It's Black experiences. But one of the things that I've definitely experienced is that you know coming to a space like University of Richmond, it's often um, our work as Black students is often kind of like intentionally kind of lumped into this kumbaya, multiculturalism thing. And I think you're saying that it's not that, right? That a part of working with love and working with care, as I think you and your fellow comrades are doing, is being critical about the things that need to be dismantled, burned down, interrupted, disrupted, torn up. Because a lot of these institutions, and you know, unfortunately, it's not just the University of Richmond, of course, University of Richmond's institution that you and I have a commonality to, but we both know that like, honey, wherever we go in many of these spaces, um, these hey. institutions are rooted in white supremacy. And we're seeing from the work that y'all are doing and the work that y'all are calling out, um, with your demands, we're seeing that like the root is often riddled in terrible, you know, homophobia, racism, et cetera. And they're always trying to make us feel like we're crazy by telling us that it's not at the root and that you know, we just need to change some things at the top of the plant, And we know that like, that is not true. So I, I really appreciate that point about like part of you, it sounds like you're saying a part of working with love is tearing down the things that don't love us and calling those Mm -hmm. things out because, you know, why else would we exist in these spaces of higher learning, you know, to not call out the things that need to be changed.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And you kind of hit, or you did hit the nail on the head, world that we live in currently the system of things the institutions whatever you want to call it the it the they <laughs> um Them. It, it's not, <laughs> yes it's like it was not built on love it was not built for humans and humanity to exist it was built to create objects out of living beings it was built on white supremacy it was built on every ism you can name on the book sexism cap, uh blackism I, yeah. all of that mm-hmm. and so it's like
0: anti-black it was
1: anti-black. not uh it was not built for me to love myself it was not built for me to love my community because a part of loving my community also means listening to them when they're hurting mm-hmm. it also means allowing space for someone to be angry because it's okay to be angry in a world that completely has rejected you and your humanity before you even had a chance to breathe air i mean like it lives in our bodies having to fight white supremacy Mm -hmm. at this point as a black american Mm -hmm. i mean from your the oral stories and histories that you get from your grandparents when like i can reflect on my great-grandparents telling me when they had to walk through the back door or they could stop at certain gas stations or things like that and it's like at the same time and like you said kind of in the beginning we're having the same conversations because we never addressed the root. root. We never got to choosing love because consistently at the root, there is no love available. I mean, how can you expect a plant to thrive without water, without sunlight? I mean, we're planting things in nothing but cold, hard cement and
0: hatred. Y'all, you know, with your very clear demands, and we both know that like, you know, the demands are not even asking for everything that we deserve and desire but the demands are clear there should be no reason why they're not met um i hear you you know very clear about how you work with love and how in your black life like choosing love is a part of the demand to you know exist and be and to serve and to you know commit to um any type of space and so i really wanted to discuss with y'all too um you know just like this conversation about like legacy and then we're going to talk about belonging but like as a black student that you know doesn't get, and I feel the same as, as black, you know, faculty or whatever you want to call me, like as black folks that exist at university of Richmond and at large black folks who exist in higher education, we don't always get to just be the thing that we are hired there to do, right? Like we don't get to just be a student. We don't get to just be our age. Sometimes as black folks, we don't get to um, just teach our classes, you know, like we're always, you know, expected to kind of Fit this diversity stuff, or help you know the university fix their blind spots. I love that thing that meme of like it's above me now, you know, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> um, yes. but what, what are your thoughts about just like legacy and what are the things that you want to leave behind at U of R? Um, in terms of legacy and how it's connecting to other student organizers, and then just like from your experience at U of R up until now, what are the things that you just like want to close the door to? Like mm, that door's closed not messing with y'all don't call me like the things that you have just decided like you know you're done with
1: I think to unpack that um I have to take a step back and what I bring what I brought and bring to the University of Richmond from my freshman year from the first day I entered campus when I chose to apply one other piece about me and something I've never it was once something I was ashamed of and now something that I stand, it's my story, it's my experience, like you said, mm-hmm. it's Black experiences and a part of my experiences. I, my father was incarcerated for 15 years of my life, um, so that would play a big part Um, from actually physically not having his presence from visiting jails and prisons mm-hmm. for a, a large portion of my life from the time I was five until I was about 1819, and so I brought that university with me, and I knew that I was kind of going to be entering a space where other people didn't have these lives. Mm-hmm. But with that experience, I've also kind of, in some ways, which I think it's a larger conversation to have in our communities and our country as a whole, is I kind of got used to carrying a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of legacy. Uh, some legacies you want to break and some legacies you want to create new ones and i got used to caring a lot and i think when i got to richmond like you said i couldn't just be a student mm-hmm. i was also a representation for everything
0: um, yeah, i mean i i understand that experience as well of like it sounds like you're saying you know when you have a a, a parent who's in the system where you come from a family that has had certain adversities especially as black folks like Sometimes we come to these predominantly white spaces, you know, carrying the fact that like, I got to be the successful one. Like everybody's rooting on me to get through college. Like, and that is also a lot of weight that doesn't allow sometimes for us to be a student. And then it's like real shitty when also the folks that are tasked with uh, teaching you or caring for you while you're here, don't always even understand um, the level of intellect and expertise that comes with having that type of childhood.
1: Yeah, and I and I think too. Like my father is one of the most brilliant people mm. I know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And hearing kind of being in certain classes, mm-hmm. like oh, I know uh, business ethics, and and you, and you hear conversations about people who are incarcerated, and it's like, man, you just said that, and it's like you just lumped a whole group of people into being this one personality archetype. You just made all these generalizations, and you're talking about my dad my dad was one of the most brilliant people that i know my dad that got in the brown and chose howard because he was tired of having to constantly explain his blackness in spaces mm-hmm. like you're talking about him too and a part of that had like this dual effect in me it was like oh like i'm like how did i end up in this space where mm-hmm. people are kind of like just making these general statements they don't even know the half mm-hmm. and then it's like also kind of lit this fire in me like Like you said, like I began, it was like almost like I felt like I have to, like almost like I have to say something because you're not, no one else is going to tell you. The world's not going to tell you that you're dead wrong. Like everybody who's been incarcerated may not have even done anything so egregious. They just happened to be black and doing it or they were completely innocent. Like you look at things like just mercy, (laughs) like they were just black in the wrong space. And so for me also now fast forwarding, i'm 20 now and in my state the same thing that my father was arrested for is now being legalized mm-hmm. and so it's like man he spent 14 years out of my life for something that you're now doing. okay
0: yeah you're in college at this like really pivotal time for your life i'm also a child of an incarcerated parent um, my late mom uh, was for uh, a portion of my life and um it took me all the way to graduate school to kind of realize that, like, um, my mother also is one of the most, like, brilliant folks that I know because of the ways that she, as a, a Caribbean black woman, like, definitely just always knew that the system was rigged and always, you know, broke the rules because, um, as my friend uh, Madison Morrow has, has said, like, you know, in Tiffany's, they're going to follow us and give us side eye whether we have the money or not. So give some grace to the folks who just decide to steal it, you know? And like, I, I feel that because it's like with the PhD or not, we are treated the way that we are treated by these white supremacist institutions. And so you can't really um, turn, just try to erase the experience of folks who decide like, or who learn early that this shit is so rigged um, and that it's designed to treat us like shit. The police state... The, institu- the institutions of higher learning, like it's designed to make students like you come in and not be able to just be a student, but you have to advocate for your basic humanity, right? It's designed. So if you decide like, mm, you know, I'm, I'm going to find alternatives to navigating this like rigged system, you know, then you would, you would, that's where we have to understand that we need to learn from folks who are incarcerated in many ways, because they are, they have just, they model that there are alternatives, um, and you're right that like not everybody that's incarcerated has done quote unquote egregious crimes because there are plenty of folks that run this institution that do some like really effed up shit and, you know, continue to climb for it. So it really I think we're in a moment where like we definitely as black folks for sure have to um, not follow the okie doke and really like think about um, Our definitions of right versus wrong, criminal versus not, that has to kind of come from within. It can't come from a system that is conditioned to criminalize us.
1: And the reason, like, too, why I kind of brought up that experience and took a step back is I realized when I got to college how much knowledge and wealth I had had because of the spaces I had navigated growing up in an urban environment. And then I did like a community based um, organization that basically worked with low income families to put, to take you out of your failing school district quote-unquote and move you from the high school you would have matriculated into and move you to a private school so i had navigated that space and then i come to richmond and i'm navigating this space and a part of navigating those spaces and gaining that knowledge that i have as an intellect from reading absorbing going to class some of what we would call traditional transactional learnings there's a teacher a classroom and those things a lot of that had been supplemented from my life experiences and college really helped me to like you know being in these spaces and also meeting people like Kayla and TJ and Michael and Shira and all of the other organizers on campus and involved with student organizations and finding spaces where there were people who carried these life experiences that I did I realized how much knowledge lived in my body yeah. and how much my parents had whether they knew it or not either through their oral history or I, I'm a big person now that I'm growing to understand some of the things that are unspoken or like you know that feel like you know how sometimes you just get feelings. Like I told my mom and I had this epiphany like kinda in my sociology class, like alongside taking um sociology, I was also taking um I believe my FYS, which is race and representation. And In that class I had to watch the film 12 Years of Slave in a class full of white people, mm-hmm. which is like a
0: very awkward feeling. That's definitely something that you were leaving behind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, shutting the door. Wipe that memory out, yeah. But it was a very awkward feeling, but it was like no, like I was in a room where I also felt that they felt awkward, but no one had to say, it's tense here, here's tension, you know? Yeah, yeah. Those bodily feelings, and I feel like, you know, those bodily feelings are an example of knowledge being stored in you, whether it's something you heard or yeah. something perhaps maybe I'm born with as a black American, you know, that's that piece. And so coming into Richmond, I brought my experiences and I, one thing that I'm shutting the door on and that I hope that the university changes and that I hope maybe that me speaking up about it, it touches some person of color's ears, some Black person's ears, and they understand that the University of Richmond, in some ways, when you don't fit the mold of what their idea of the student is, they ask you to strip yourself of those those experiences and put on the University of Richmond hat, have that spider pride. I can't have spider pride because you're not accepting my experiences, the knowledge that I hold, because my knowledge is valuable, this is valuable, it's whatever I can write on this piece
0: of paper yeah and i um i hate to be the bearer of bad news but what you're saying really connects to a blind spot in academia at large i think Mm -hmm. that um and then to expand it out you know just like capitalism corporations at large in terms of there is so much especially in 2020 right like i'm not sure i forgot um i don't know how old you are but you know, we have seen these kind of um, cycles of like everybody wants to like right now. Everybody wants to hire black people. Everybody wants to hire black professors. Every Everybody wants to, you know, kind of show that they're not racist by like just bringing us in. But the main thing that like they continue to fail is like the way that they bring us in, the way they keep us there is still like rooted in this kind of like just change a little bit, just assimilate, just fit in with this white supremacist environment. Right. Like one of the things that I'm experiencing um as a recent grad uh, who is now applying to like professor jobs, et cetera, is like the new thing is like they're asking black, they're asking us to write diversity statements. Like let's call that out, right? Like that's something I wanna leave behind. And so it's like, it's just like kind of setting you up for failure um, to kind of like say that the promise is to bring us in, but the culture is still riddled in white supremacy.
1: of going off your point like once again talking about the experiences that i bring from the door to things that you like and not necessarily
0: they're conditioned really to not see those experiences as yeah as knowledge as dope as beauty and so we're never gonna look that great on the white supremacist like job catalog <laughs> you know and
1: the, and the thing is the thing is like i've gotten to a point i don't care <laughs> like I don't want to look great on, and that's just me too. Cause like I yeah. said, I'm an entrepreneurship major. If I, you don't want to open your doors, it's fine. I'm going to build my own table and I'm going to sit at it and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just not going to come over here and mess up this table. Mm-hmm. That's that. Mm-hmm. But like, as far as that on the job market, but at the same time, it's like, sometimes I think about and I reflect and I, and I, and it goes back to the conversation about love and creating these these pathways of, of love and dismantling the things that don't, that don't make it suitable for love to exist or for love to thrive or just plain don't have it there. Going back to that and understanding those experiences, like you said, they're conditioned to not think of it as knowledge. Mm-hmm. They're conditioned to not think of it as valuable, mm-hmm. but it is. And, and the reality of the world is, and like you said, it's, it's in higher ed in general, the reality of the world is that this intellect that you're spewing into the world it's going into an entire ecosystem of people who work together, who you need people to absorb the information. People don't just write books for them to, only graduate students to read it. No, you write books for the entire world to, in, to engage with it. And so these conversations about diversity and inclusion, I don't want to be included in white supremacy. I don't want to be included in you exploiting Black bodies and intellectuals and in labor so that you can look good as an institution. And you can say, oh, look at these Black kids. We're giving them a space to speak with their black voices, but we actually don't listen to them. We just want you to see that they can be here, that they that we they can exist here. We make it okay for them. And then the ones that we do allow to have more of a platform, it's because they're they very like palatable. Fit, they students. fit
0: the mode, yeah. It's right. Right I mean, like a basic example is like having, you know, a criminal justice major and not learning from folks who have served time in the system. Or just like not seeing those folks as as a part of like that intellectual rigor. Um, and so I, I hear that because that's definitely a conversation that, you know, I was having, you know, as an undergrad of just like the lack of like centering, like nuanced knowledge experiences. Um, and so that's why I think students, like you come to U of R and always have to end up doing kind of like more, more work and then still, you know, struggling to find or to build your own like spaces of belonging, um. And so how have you kind of like found alternatives to the shortcomings at U of R that we're talking about?
1: I mean, it was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, like, take me
0: to take me to your places of like, like, where do you feel a sense of like belonging and community on campus or off campus?
1: Once again, I'm always multifaceted. And one thing you'll always hear from me and maybe it's reflected in our conversation now is like I wear multiple hats. Everybody wears multiple hats. Mm-hmm. You're a daughter, you're a son, you're, you're an aunt and
0: uncle, you're a student. Code switch. Oh Yeah.
1: And it's like a part of me, knowing that I wear multiple hats, I realized I'm also another realization I came to, maybe not because of college, but just maybe with age and um, living more life, I feel the happiest. I had to ask myself, like, when do you feel the most defeated and when do you feel the happiest and when do you feel the most successful and achieved? I feel the most, I feel happiest and most achieved when I'm connecting with people. Mm. It's just always been who I am. So a part of my finding my sense of belonging, finding my places where I can unwind and be me was pretty much connecting with people. So that goes with A, I found a group of friends that, I mean, my friends are dope. Mm-hmm. The dopest to me, yeah. And so I got my friends like Kayla; she's doing her thing. My friend L, my friend Nisa, and like they're the, they're some of the dopest people I ever met. And then even among, even outside of them, I mean, connecting with amazing Black women, uh, people like Kayla, and then you have. You know, people like Shirley that are just, like, doing a thing. Like, just, just like, just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, like, so radiant and being it's around excellence. these yeah, people. Yeah, it. like, yeah.
2: this,
1: this excellent is just, like, exuding, exuding out of them. And being around them kind of pushed me to be my best self. Mm-hmm. And not in a, like, I got to be better than you type of way because I always appreciate it, you know, hanging around my people. That it was never competition; it was always empowered. So they were always, you know, you post that thing on Instagram like, "I'm preparing to launch my business officially in August." And when I posted the first piece about my business, like, these are the people that were like, "Keep pushing, keep pushing." And a part of my business is connecting to the community and connecting people to their passions and their purpose. And, and so
0: it's just like, and hold, hold on having, to the hold on to the business launch because we're gonna circle back to that. We could do a little yeah. infomercial at the end. Yeah, and it's like.
1: <laughs> No, when I did that, I was just like so scared, but I had a support team yeah. behind me so so that's kind of like building that community on the University of Richmond's campus with people who also are like minded who are and even when we disagree, we can have these friendly debates, and it's like it's like I see it this way, da oh, you open my eyes to this da-da-da-da. and it's never heart feeling it's It's always just pushing each other towards growth, and I think those people like really push me towards love and so I find that. Those being around building that community.
0: Yeah, if, you it know? sounds like um, when you have when you also when you have those kind of like shared human experiences at a space mm-hmm. that can be like racially violent, um, you do kind of um, quiet that like need to like feel like we're competing with each other. I mean, I felt like that um, with some of my grad school cohort of like we when you both realize like damn this is like rigged for both of us like we need to stick together mm-hmm. because these white folks are you know. They' trying to kill us, girl. Um, <laughs> I think that when you when you realize that uh, you're able to like build this like alternative community, and um, what I was talking to mm-hmm. Kayla about um, that I want to talk to you about too is like I think all Black folks who work in spaces that are um, just like conditioned not to see us and you know kind of um, clock us for not uh, or not clock us, but like conditioned not to see us and in turn don't often see our full humanity, um, we have to create like worlds within those spaces. So maybe it's not about like waiting for this institution to like make us feel like we belong, but just like, you know, using its resources to kind of build your own world within it. So that like when you graduate, you're not like so scarred from that experience, but like you're able to like stay in community with the folks that you, um, you know, built it, built something special with whether the university, like you know, got itself together or not. If the demands, for example, that y'all have orchestrated are not met, like how will y'all um, still go on as like uh, a community that like started through your shared um, connection at coming to your U of R, or like you know, I think it's just I think it's just important to to think about how like in this work whether the university gets it or not or does the right thing or not y'all have like built something for you you know
1: yeah and I think like really truly the black women on campus and specifically because I am a black woman you know the black women on campus have really built a community even amongst themselves and like you said like these alternative communities where I'll get support from you know people on social media or just you know just out doing things hey girl and you know that always made the difference because Mm -hmm. i never had to explain who i was i never had to explain oh it's like you don't get my experience as a black person i didn't have to have those conversations i could truly unwind when we come together we're doing great things like the black excellence gala was something i was involved in and putting on at the
0: university of richmond and it was and this black woman it sounds like you're shouting out like black women run institutions, black women run groups at u of r (laughs)
1: And it's, you know, but, you know, like the the Black Excellence Gala actually started off um, being something that the the alphas mm-hmm. on campus started. And then the second, we loved it so much when they started it. We were like, how do we get in on it? And I was like, I want to be, you know, a part of the planning. And I worked alongside a lot of people mm-hmm. who really helped to pull that off, who were talking to the staff or catering, you know, all of that. And that was just so amazing to see everybody. We weren't getting paid for that. We didn't, like... We didn't have to do that. We had food on top of planning that. And it was so amazing to see my people, you know, come together and say, we're fighting 24-7. This is for us. We're celebrating. We're dancing. We're, we're playing our music. We're eating food. We want to eat. Like, mm-hmm. that was just so amazing. And those type of things are kind of where I found myself, you know, the happiest, yeah. the most at peace, the most achieved, the most feeling, the most connected. And that was part of it. You know, at least on the University of Richmond campus, that's the on-campus experience.
0: I wanted to chime in real quick, because it sounds like what you're saying is like when you or when we, um, because I benefit from the Black Excellence Gala as well. Okay, I love to put on a cute, cute heel. Um, I love. I love this moment about like, you know, when we have unrestricted kind of uh, opportunities to, to create something that is for us. Right. So like you said, we control the catering, we have to play the music we want to play. Like it was, it's called the Black Excellence Gala. So ideally it's going to be all black people there. Like when you just have that, uh, that unrestricted access to just like create something that is for us. Um, I feel like that's like a, a way that you combat like the lack of belonging that you and your fellow students may feel at U of R and even me in some ways as faculty, like talk more about that. Like how, um, how do you think some of your friends um, have, or speaking from the black excellence gala, like, how do you think that y'all have um, continued to like establish ways of, of belonging? So the galas is one for me, it I was definitely just good. like having a black roommate um, that like changed the game. I, I, like, I didn't, I grew up in a predominantly white part of Connecticut. And like when I had, um, when I came to U of R and had a black roommate um, who was from a completely different walk of life from me, I think it just like, it did what you're saying. Like it allowed us to like really understand how our experiences were so diverse as black folks, but our experiences were also very similar in how we were like experiencing the University of Richmond. I think so
1: like kind of taking a step back is, a part of, I guess, where, how I interpret what you're saying by belonging, I kind of interpret, and this is something that Kayla and I talk about a lot, and that she's actually exposed me to a few intellectuals that go and expand on this concept, but when you censor the most marginalized in society, you effectively liberate everybody. And so in those spaces where we're creating spaces like the Black Excellence Gala, like in reality... Like, I think our slogans, or not, maybe not slogan, but our little, like, tidbit was, like, all are welcome, but this is specifically celebrating Black excellence. Mm-hmm. And so we did see, you know, obviously non-Black people there. But
2: just not but at it, the w- center. It
1: was, it was a space, <laughs> yeah, it was, like, you know, it wasn't a space where whiteness was normal or whiteness Mm -hmm. was the neutral, Mm -hmm. or whiteness was the expectation. Y'all ate some (laughs) good Yes. And so it was like, you know, when you create these spaces that are truly designed to, to, to just be liberating and just to be free and to actually allow people to be people, like the Black Excellence Gala, I wasn't you know, all of these, like, I didn't have to be, quote unquote, a freedom fighter and this and that and everything in between and, yeah. like, I could just be me. Yeah. Like, I could just be the person who wants to dance and celebrate and I yeah. could just be Akia and I could be the person with the cute pink dress on. That was who I was and that's yeah. all I had to be yeah. in that moment and that was where we started to, like, you know, like, we need more of this and so you might find, like, on me, like, we had, group chats where we could like just be ourselves and we were connecting with people. And if someone like another way we connected is like, obviously our outside, um, our conversations and our connections out off campus. So sometimes you might find like, Oh, this person is going out here. Let's like link up with them when they go or, Oh, like, you know, obviously another like outside, um, connection or how we connected with the rest of, richmond is we're surrounded by HBCUs, so we would visit other schools and meet yeah. other people and invite them to our events and we would bsa would throw parties and those were spaces where we didn't have to be like all these things at once we could mm-hmm. kind of just be just be 19 20 year olds mm-hmm. we could just party we could just have fun we could just be college students mm-hmm. we didn't have to be freedom fighters or you know and it's not that none of us don't want to be those things but those things get very exhausting and this is where like self-care becomes completely radical because the idea is to weigh you down, is to batter you so you're tired, you can't keep going and these were the spaces where we recharge and also rejoice and it was okay to just be
0: part of your like your black matter right like your your way of just like um showing up in the world i use the term black matter for this podcast because i wanted to just like center the matter meaning like there's so much around like black lives matter of course and that gets very focused on like our oppression our trauma stop killing us and all of those things need to be you know um pushed to the center and those demands need to be met of course and at the same time i think we also have to preserve space for like black matter, like our joy, our pleasure, the other things that are just not often centered about us because of how much we have to fight and have to like, you know, teach people to see us. I think that, um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm also very interested in just like seeing, like you said, like the person behind the freedom fighter and making sure that within these, um, these spaces, whether I'm teaching or whether I'm having a kiki or whether I'm, you know, doing both. Um, I want to make sure that we like, you know, demand for that part of us to also kind of shine through as well? Um, Because I think you're making a a really good point that, like, it can be exhausting, though the work is needed and warranted, it can be exhausting just being the activist, just being the freedom fighter, if that's, like, the only mode of how people see you, right?
1: It's, like, too, like, I think about, and that's one thing that I discussed um, in Disrupting School to Prison Narratives, Mm -hmm. I collaborated with a bunch of other people. I think it was, like, five collaborators and I was one of them and I collaborated with them also to disrupt this idea of knowledge can only come from these places and knowledge only comes from the one teacher in the room. And yeah. I said, um, kind of like what you spoke on is I had a moment where you where bringing in personal experience was just as valid as if I had pulled a quote from a textbook Yeah, it is. and where, and where I said, when Trayvon Martin the whole case was Trayvon Martin, and Trayvon Martin was killed and how the news ran that story on a cycle. It's like, okay, it's one thing to be informed but Trayvon Martin Trayvon Martin's death had become so politicized that it seems as if he was a martyr. Mm-hmm. And I said, but people forgot to reflect on the fact that a mother lost her son. Mm-hmm. When her son walked out of those doors, she expected that her son would come back full and alive, and he did not. So you ran constantly a story showing the, what happened, or retelling events, showing his face repeatedly, and nobody asked, is she okay? Can she handle every day waking up and hearing her son's name knowing she'll never be able to hug him again? You forgot that he was a person, he was a son, you forgot his humanity, and mm-hmm. I feel like all too often this happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, too often do we forget that we're, we're people, we're students. And like you said, with Black Matter, it's, and Black Lives Matter too has become um, not necessarily by the, by the activists in Black yeah. Lives Matter, yeah. but it has become politicized to be this hashtag where we're going to display, like you said, all of these oppressions. So I can't just exist. I can't just be a Kia who's going to get her education at the University of Richmond. No, I'm the Black girl. With this story that sits in a classroom and I'm supposed to tell this story in this classroom. When I came here to take notes, Mm -hmm. I didn't come here for you to use my story to be the token black person. I I didn't come here for you to say people who are born to uh, or born to poor parents or who uh, who parents are incarcerated. I didn't come here for you to say, look, they can make it. I didn't come here for that. I came to learn. Mm-hmm. And you're making learning real hard when you keep interjecting your white supremacy and your white fragility and your white tears for whatever reason you feel they are needed. You're making that real hard. And so I found that for me, and a part of me going through Richmond is building that community of people who understood. And like you said, that Black Matter that saw IKEA.
0: You are brilliant, and there are many facets to you, and like maybe they won't you know see them all, but at the same time, like the goal should always be that. I think that mm-hmm. just given the work that um y'all are doing as an example at University of Richmond in twenty twenty one um in response to just like what has occurred and what we've seen um during the university's behavior during the pandemic, et cetera. I think that y- y'all are an example of, like, of course, the capabilities of brilliant black students, but at the same time, it also brings up conversations about like compensation. You know what is owed, um, invisible labor, right? Like mm-hmm. how um, you just want to be a student, you know. And, and for me, um, you know, even as I'm like applying to be on on these kind of like faculty uh, possibilities. I have become like less interested in fixing institutional problems. And like, like you said, like coming to take notes, just coming to do my work. Right. I'm more interested in using the resources to secure better living for myself. um, That centers my joy and that like puts love back into my community as you're articulating really well. Um, And I could care less like if U of R or any white supremacist institution like figures it out because I think the work to figuring it out um, is often Uh, designed to, like, exhaust us, um, exhaust black folks, right, Um, to use us, to, you know, undercompensate us, to not see us or not even make the attempt to see who we are beyond helping them, like, fix their shit. Um, And I think that those blind spots, as you talk about the blind spots in the classroom, um, the blind spots in, like, getting us here but not having um, any resources or effort Into changing the culture that would make us like want to stay here and not leave. That's not right. We should have that student experience where you graduate in a positive, um, not like damn, I'm exhausted from just having to like teach them to see me. Um, I think those blind spots like really need to be addressed in order for us to like be ready to like help the institution. Um, And so I'm, I'm just interested in your thoughts about that. And like, have you thought about you know this invisible labor that you're that you often you know dedicate as a black woman who is at University of Richmond in, in, in the student role, right? Like, you've been teaching a lot, too. <laughs> um, and if you can, you know, dream about that in, in, in terms of reparations, like, what do you think they owe us or what do you think they owe you, right? Like, what is owed to students like you because of the ways that you don't just get to be a student?
1: Hmm. So kind of I hear like a few questions there and I think a piece a piece first is that the university owes it to everyone including themselves to design and create an environment where everyone can be their best selves and being your best self never requires you infringing someone someone else's ability to be the, their best self it never requires that you do not have to uh blow out someone else's flame for you to like burn, you know, whatever the freak <laughs> is. Like I don't like like I don't have to dim your light to shine brighter. I, yeah. that's never necessary. Mm-hmm. The only competition, quote unquote, if you wanted to have competi- competition to be who you were yesterday. <laughs> that's the only competition you should ever have yeah. in life. University of Richmond does not design an environment whether academically, socially, um to not design or create or, or allow for an environment to thrive where everyone feels that they can be their best selves without attacking someone else, without having to acknowledge where someone else might fall short, without having to belittle someone, without having to make someone smaller. That is just the, the cold, hard truth. They owe it to everyone, black, white, all students, all mm. faculty, all staff, yeah. to do the work that they need to do to address their history Okay. And once you address the history, let's build something greater because right now, how I see it, the the university is very stagnant. The university is not committed to doing that work. Mm -hmm. And that's a big reason why black students, black alumni (laughs) all say, when I'm out of here, I'm done. I have nothing left to give because we're exhausted because we've given you the tools. We, whether it's through demands, whether it's through papers, whether it's through through projects or, or research assignments, we've given you the tools to, we're telling you what we need from you to build this environment where we can be our best selves. And there is never, ever, ever, ever this, uh, this feeling or, or this, this sentiment or whatever you want to call it where suddenly i have to be in competition with you to be my best self that that's not a productive society that doesn't center love that doesn't center connection and in fact it centers nothing but hatred and otherizing and all of the other things that you want to put on the list and this is where those isms thrive
0: the demands that you guys have um you know make it clear that like it's not necessarily this like competition it's like there is a there's a lack of like equity there's a lack of like understanding the the needs of um the student population at university of richmond a particular student population if you want to say just black students but we both know that like meeting those demands is not just going to benefit only black students they just want to position it that way um but i think making those demands that y'all made and how clear they are especially um the one with changing building names it's just it's making it very clear of like you don't have to, you can't, it's, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you can't center white supremacy in your design and in, in your aesthetics and in like the way that you do what you do on your campus, but then at the same time um, praise how much you've done about diversity and how much money you've given to black causes. And
1: it's like, and it's like even with the, with, with the first thing that they came back with, with the hyphenated names, I was just like... That
0: was a, a hot mess. Even as a staff, faculty alum all my roles at the University of Richmond, it was a hot mess. And, and it's like... And they know, they know it was it was an intellectually a hot mess, culturally, emotionally, it was just a hot mess.
1: And it's like, for me, I felt like, okay. <laughs> what? Like, once again, this is this building this environment that...
0: Doesn't want to yeah, let go of yeah, white supremacy
1: at all and it's like you're holding on to white supremacy for what
0: i mean it's it's built on hoarding resources for a certain yes yeah
1: and and if it brought such economic success what's this problem with this um whole student debt crisis this Mm -hmm. whole national debt crisis what's going on i don't understand where white supremacy has ever worked but what are we holding on to Mm -hmm. even if you want to look at it logically it still makes zero sense (laughs) like And so I get to this point where I get so frustrated with the university because I'm like, even the arguments that you're giving, they don't make sense. Mm -hmm. The only thing that ever makes sense in my head is centering love and where people can be their best selves. Because you know what happens when people can thrive? We build great communities. Mm -hmm. We have our society operating at the best it could be. We have a society where people are making connections, where we no longer have to worry about things like sweatshops or police brutality, or, or brutality against Asian Americans or Asian immigrants. We don't have to worry about failing school districts. We don't have to worry about homelessness, poverty,
2: hunger. Yeah, we don't have to worry the about whole, these yeah, things.
1: Yeah. Because everything that we need in our society is already here. What the problem is, when That's white supremacy no, yeah. comes in, it stifles it.
0: The demands that y'all have made, Um, And folks, you can tell folks how they can go read them. But I'm sure folks who are listening have already, you know, familiarized themselves with what's happening at U of R. The demands that y'all have made um, are all very, very, very possible. um, If there is a desire to do them right. Like the money is there. The resources are there. The human capital is there to get these things done. Um, I just think that we have definitely seen, especially with like the awakening that some folks got in 2020, um, that there's always been money and resources to you know treat black people the way that we deserve to be treated some of these institutions just don't have the desire to and you can see <laughs> written in their bylaws who, who's on their board of trustees who runs them how it's run etc that there's just a lack of desire is how it's how I've often felt and I think that y'all have like you know figured that out early on
1: and like my thing is and I hope that it's not misconstrued by what I say but like even if you wanted to take that Like, I still just don't get it. You want to create the best university you could ever create. And a a large population of your students are saying, we're dissatisfied with what this university has to offer us. And then on top of that, we're going to tell you exactly what we need you to do. You just need to do it. I don't understand how you could commit yourself to building the best university you can. But then when people tell you exactly what you need to do to improve it, you don't take the action. That makes zero sense to me counterintuitive it's like you are content with not being the best you could possibly be because it means that you can completely live in hatred and ignorance yeah you want to live in that you want to live in white supremacy hatred ignorance, classism you want that but you're telling me that your wants are different and it's no way that they could be different because when i'm telling you how to make your university the best university it could be and that's coming from within the university. Like I said, everything <laughs> yeah, that university there. needs is there.
2: Yeah.
0: We took a quick little break. Uh, we are back. OK, Miss Akia. So this has been a great conversation and um, I want to hold space to just like learn a little bit more about you, too. So tell us about uh, this new business that you're starting, um, plans for after graduation. Um, what is your black girl summer looking like? Um, just give us a little bit about about you um, and then we'll go back into the, the tea about you. A bar.
1: okay so like i mentioned i'm an entrepreneurship major i kind of always knew that
0: sorry you know it's a black podcast and it's like tell us about the business that you're starting girl
1: (laughs) (laughs) no but yeah really (laughs) i i've kind of been dabbling in entrepreneurship for a long time now and i didn't know how much i was capable of so that kind of led this new business called the hustle lab and the hustle lab is basically centered around um i guess my tagline or whatever you want to call it is connecting entrepreneurs to their uh to business resources Um, each other in the community and so it's really in the instant stages right now and i'm working on building a lot of program that really centers um i like to call myself a social entrepreneur which is an industry that's really budding and growing but it's basically you know centered around entrepreneurship that not only obviously i have to sustain myself so obviously there's money involved but one of the larger um motivations and to getting into entrepreneurship is social impact, which is why I designed this, the hustle lab, a to connect people with entrepreneurship and how it can bring financial and social freedom for themselves, whether that's through building a side hustle or whatever um, they want to build. Maybe it's a main business. Maybe they're looking to connect with something they have more passion um, in, and, you know, but the other piece of it is also connecting people to their community and the impact of the work that they do. And so in one of my business classes, we um, spoke about, like, you know, profit maximization. And so with that being a core principle in business as we know it, well, what does profit maximization mean when you're a landlord? Mm. Well, a lot of times that looks like what I saw in my community where landlords don't come and fix things. Landlords are taking advantage and exploiting tenants, and landlords are really only looking for at the numbers to maximize the profit, but forget that these are lives inside of these homes. That that you're completely you're impacting someone's family, someone's yeah. livelihood, someone's ability to feed their children or to have, provide shelter for themselves and those that depend on them. And so, really, what the Hustle Lab is about is connecting entrepreneurs to that, understanding the impact that whatever your business, or it doesn't even have to be, you know, a for-profit business. If you're building a nonprofit, if you're building a for-profit business, you want to plan a community event, whatever you consider your quote-unquote hustle is, whatever your passion is, it's understanding the impact that it has overall to the community, understanding that it should be p- pushing the things that you um, personally want and that not detaching yourself and making yourself like, you know, this mundane laborer mm-hmm. that we typically have in our society that just kind of beat you down and run you down so you have no more to give no you're going to spend your life and a lot of your time doing something it should always fill you up it should also, it should always make you happy and add to your community only to make it better so that's kind of where the motive of the hustle lab kind of came from and what i'm working on so i hope to throw community events fundraising events and hopefully when i get to that point but like i said it's like really in the infant stages so i'm kind of just starting with like connecting people with resources like do what you want to do live your live the life you want to live create that
0: world so you're graduating yeah. from u of r and your goal is to start your own business mm-hmm. which is stope um and where where do you see um the work that you're doing now as a student especially as a student organizer do you see a lot of that um giving you um ideas about the business that you're starting
1: I see it impacted by the work that I do at U of R, mostly because like, for example, um, a part of me launching it is I've now designed and, um, published a magazine called the hustle mag, oh, nice. which, um, thank you. And so, um, one of the things that I put in there was kind of like, you know, the piece about my father and how my father has deeply impacted my work. I don't have to separate my knowledge and my life experiences and say, you know what, I went to business school and this is why I'm qualified and this is why you should yeah. invest in me or whatever the case may be. This is why you should join the hustle lab or whatever. No, I'm qualified because of all of you.
0: Yeah, and your passion, I think your, your business passion and your, your professional passion really comes together when you blend the personal and the political.
1: Yeah, another part of it is like, everything we need is right here, it's just being stifled. And so a part of my motive is to uncover these things that might be stifling us, but also is to be a source um, where people can come and get access to information that might otherwise be withheld, not discussed at all, or maybe misrepresented or people may be misinformed. So that's another piece of Mm -hmm. like how my work and my social organizing kind of comes in because I've learned a lot about. How important it is to center all knowledges.
0: With this blending that you're talking about, this kind of you know making sure that whether you're a business owner or a a social political organizer, that you are you know changing the approach to how we think about knowledge. And you know you're you're moving. It seems like you came to a very traditional quote unquote traditional space like U of R um, to realize that like it's not your calling to do this. Like there's a teacher and there's a student. you know, thing like that's just not that mm-hmm. we know that for many of us, that just doesn't work for us because black folks tend to come in with so much nuanced intellect that it's just not often centered in these spaces, whether it be the business world or uh, higher education. So, do you think that the moment, this moment right now, the work that y'all are doing, does it change your approach um, to kind of like disseminating and archiving um, knowledge? Like, for example, we're using this podcast, we're using podcast as like a platform to share knowledge from our stories and from just like the way that we experience the world. Um, And it sounds like you're very, you know, interested in that, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that a lot of students, especially after Africana studies and a lot of students attended events where we kind of discussed like our motives behind Africana studies, I think it kind of opened the campus up as to, okay, what we have, like, what ways have I kind of restricted my ways of knowing, or what ways have I restricted my knowledge and said only these forms of knowledge are acceptable or valuable. So I think that that has opened up the campus. And I think also, like, with all the different initiatives going on here and there, I think a lot of people are involved in social organizing and as well as, like, fighting for what they believe in and standing on their principles. It has pushed them to see okay how the intersections happen you know because the reality is black lives matter is a decentralized movement and they have all come together to fight for some common cause so i think everyone's eyes are kind of opening up now
0: Let's close with like the concepts of just like legacy. Like, mm-hmm. what do you see uh, to be our legacy right now, and like kind of what are the genealogies that uh, we're drawing on um, in 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 this moment, and also just like what genealogies are you drawing on in your work? It definitely sounds like you are um, disrupting that notion of like carrying a family legacy where you need to be the one that like you know succeeds and carries everybody with you, and instead you're you're bringing you know, your family legacy with you and showing how all of it uh, makes you who you are and, you know, informs the way that you create and consume knowledge and call out like rigid ways of creating and consuming knowledge. And I think that your your dad um, should be very proud. Your mom should be very proud. Your friends, I'm sure, are very proud of you of how you are um, disrupting the ways that we think about legacy um, and reminding us that like all of our black life is worthy of of being learned from um, and centered. And so I wanted to just like close with hearing you talk a little bit about legacy in like a dreamy kind of way, you know,
1: my legacy does not include being quote unquote, a hood Moses. It does not include mm. carrying everybody on my back to liberate them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What it does include, like I said, centering love and connection is giving people the tools to carry themselves. Mm-hmm. And, that's what I feel my purpose is here on this planet, and maybe the tools is I'm a listening ear. Maybe the tools are I'm leading by example. Maybe the tools is I put a book in your hand, or maybe the tools are just that I'm here beside you. I don't know. Maybe I'm not a tool at all, mm-hmm. but in a sense, I'm building the le- legacy of breaking. Like, okay, one of us has to make it, or one of us will carry the whole. It. I'm a firm believer of one eat we all eat, and it's not because I brought the fish home. It's because I showed you fishing, or mm-hmm. it's because we're showing each other how to fish. We're we're building together. Maybe I fish and then you cook it, but all together we're eating because we collaborating, <laughs> Learning is collaborating, and yeah. I think that's the legacy that I really want to build: is that love connection and collaboration. And truly, that's what I want to center my work on with my business, with myself, and I and I'm reading so many books by different authors. But since between um, James Paul, Winston Andrew Moore, Malcolm X, the Scottish Corps, like I'm reading a bunch of, of work, you know, and that's kind of where that genealogy comes from is learning from the people before me and understanding not only where they have thrived and succeeded but maybe where they're imparting wisdom onto me by ways that they may have said, listen, I didn't take care of myself, you need to. Yeah. One thing that my father has told me now in my adult life is a smart man learns his own mistake a wise man learns from the mistakes of others
2: yeah yeah and
1: so i've been really trying to take in those those oral histories and you know everybody has you know that somebody or maybe that older person maybe in your school in your life or something that's like if i knew this then i would have made different decisions
0: (laughs) and we need your and i think with oral history as like a a platform for how we share you know black knowledge and knowledge that's rooted in black life and our experiences oral history is like a beautiful platform to do that because there's just so much to be learned from our stories. And so mm-hmm. even though you're, 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 you're going into the hustle lab and you're creating your business, I also hear you really, you know, having this expertise in like oral history and storytelling, um, you know, media making that really uses the power of story to kind of center some of the, the theories that you're already, you know, drawing on from reading um, Malcolm X and Audre Lorde.
1: Yeah, the theory of community. And one thing that I think a lot of people misconstrue with, maybe this is just how I practice my entrepreneurship. Yeah. But entrepreneurship is supposed to solve a problem or a pain point. You can't understand where the pain points are if you don't listen. And so that's kind of where I'm at is like, like you said, a part of listening is hearing the stories, hearing the knowledge, seeing what's around you. A part of, a part of observing is using your five senses. You need to touch heart, like I said, when you live in a world that is completely just centered around stifling that conversation, stifling those connections, stifling from actually listening with the intent to absorb and understand rather than to just respond and just completely just disregard what someone said yeah. that, of what that we live in. You know, it, beauty happens when i'm looking to just create positive energy and vibes and positive connections and i'm looking to absorb those as well and i'm surrounding myself with the tools needed to build myself and my community up to be better to to achieve new heights yeah and not in a not in a way that's monetary not in a way that i might not even be able to count but just like i figure if i could touch one heart then i've i've done a lot you know so yeah, that's I'm, kind of where I'm at
0: with I just mean. I think everything you're doing really comes out in your story. Like when you opened with your story and the way that you're, that you're approaching your work, I feel like it all like is very connected to just the experiences that you had and the ways that you um are actively learning um, from the things that you've lived. And I think that that's just like a beautiful message to share. And so in this mm-hmm. moment of, you know, all of us black folks at U of R, or most of us, I'll say, um you know, disaffiliating, Due to the current, you know, state of affairs on campus, I think it's great to just like get together and have a kiki, right? Like get together mm-hmm. and just like talk about our stories um, and who we are behind the dominant identity of like being a political student or an activist. I think um, mm-hmm. you hit the nail on the head that like it's just really important sometimes to also remember, like within our Black matter, that there is like uh, joy and nuance and just like you know a need for a space like this to like Mm -hmm. share the story. Um, so I, I appreciate you for signing on to have this conversation with me. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely learned a lot. And as an educator, like these are my favorite moments to be able to like exchange learning with, um, folks who are coming after me or folks who are younger than me or just folks who, um, you know, I work with and, and see you're not interested in just like learning from me. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think that's a that's a message to just like you know continue to um, pass on as part of your legacy, especially because you know in five years or ten years or whatever, students will look to the work that you're doing and be like, oh yeah, like we about to come to this campus and turn some things around too, because there are students that mm-hmm. came before us that was doing that. And we want to carry it on. So I think you you know mm-hmm. you've got all the you are developing all the tools uh, if you don't have them already, and I think that, that is just like something to um, be proud of yourself.
1: Like I'm always willing to connect, but I always want to make genuine connections. And like you said, have that exchange of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, if you want to check out the hustle lab, <laughs> you can do that at the hustle yeah. as well as you can email me and it doesn't just have to be about business purposes, yeah. but you can email me at, um, the hustle lab, LLC at gmail.com. That's some of the best ways to keep in contact with me. We're also on Instagram, so that's another thing, Um, which is also the Hustle Lab LLC on Instagram and um, Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) And yeah, those are some ways you can keep in contact with me. I want to work with the community, so I'm looking to also partner with people that maybe you have something going already or you want to start something, and the Hustle Lab can support you in that. Um, and I can support you in that Mm -hmm. because essentially, you know, that that, this is, you know, quote unquote, my big girl project, my adult. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking to connect with uh, other community organizers and I'm really, I'm really just ready. And also like, whether it's New Jersey or I'm going to California or something like that, like I'm ready for the connection. I I, want to spread the love and the collaboration.
0: And good luck mm-hmm. with everything that you're doing um, thank you for all your work that you are going to use the summer to center some joy and
2: mm-hmm.
0: rest and you mm-hmm. know come back ready to I guess to fight more we don't know what the we don't know what the false is <laughs> giving us but um, mm-hmm. yeah but good luck to you and I hope to stay in touch and um, I'll definitely be putting the hustle lab uh, in the caption of this um, mm-hmm. episode so everybody can check out your work and Yes, just, you know, I'm a resource. So definitely keep in touch with me. And thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you. All right.
2: Thank you.